RSA says it has identified a new type of Trojan attack aimed at U.S. banks that could prove to be the largest organized banking Trojan attack to date. So how did RSA identify this threat? And how is it recommending financial institutions prepare? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by Moore Ahuvia of RSA, who shares insights into RSA's research and why U.S. banks are being targeted. Moore, RSA issued a warning today about this new Trojan attack that's been aimed at 30 U.S. banks, allegedly. How did RSA learn of this attack? Well, there's uh, underground chatter that we saw in Russian underground communities. By looking into clues of the announcements that we traced, we were able to link uh, those claims with a Trojan variant that we actually saw in the wild and which we handled uh, within the past two years. So we saw several incidents of the Trojan that would be used, um, allegedly. And just by having both intelligence abilities and Trojan detection and mitigation abilities, by having those two combined, we were able to make that connection. And then what cyber gang or group more is suspected of actually being behind this planned attack? We can't know for sure, but we imagine that since it takes anywhere between three to five people to code a banking Trojan, then the gang would probably have to be at least that size. And then what it's doing now is trying to recruit more bot masters so it can have a larger financial profit. Instead of just going out after banks by itself, it wants to be able to reap a share of the profits sort of like a network marketing model, and that's why it's looking for 100 bot masters to partake in this Trojan campaign. Yes, that's an interesting point, more that you that you brought up, and I'd like to come back to that. But first, I'd like to ask, when is this attack expected to hit? Uh, again, we can't know for sure. This is not something that was explicitly stated in the announcement. The gang is only at its organization stages. It's trying to recruit people. It's trying to recruit people who will train and master this Trojan uh, that they've been operating for the past four years. What it plans to do, but wants to get the critical mass of uh, apparently 100 bot masters is what they're looking for. So that they have that amount, they want to be able to set a pre-scheduled date and launch a campaign. We're expecting anywhere between several weeks to maybe two months. Uh, of course, the credibility of fraudsters in general is not very high. We don't know if the gang will actually uh, act on its plans. Anywhere between several weeks to two months is what we're currently estimating. Okay, and this is probably a difficult question to answer as well. I wanted to, to find out how long RSA thought this attack might last, but again, that's probably something that's it's too early at this point to gauge. It is difficult, but I can give you several factors that would have an impact on the longevity of the attack. First of all, we're looking at a Trojan that is not very well known. This gang has allegedly been operating it for the past four years, since 2008. It actually claimed to even siphon $5 million from uh, consumers' banking accounts within that time. But we know this token exists, and we have been uh, able to handle it, and we have been able to block its uh, communication sources. So as I said, there's several factors that will uh, impact on how long uh, it will last. One is how well antivirus protection engines will be able to detect the Trojan. This will probably be very difficult because they're going to be giving out executable files in a very controlled manner so that you're not going to have 100 different versions of the Trojan. Each time at any given point, you're probably only going to have a few. It also depends on how well the Trojan will be able to evade detection by antivirus engines. And it really depends also on security vendors' ability to make that first sample, um, recognize it as a malicious file, 
develop a patch, issue a patch, and then you have the banks. We don't know how well banks will be able to block and detect this uh, threat. So we're looking at man-in-the-middle transfers, and that means that once a victim goes online, the bot master will supposedly be alerted of the fact that the victim is online, and will then try to hijack the session and conduct an online wire transfer. So depending on how well the bank systems can identify that the transfer attempt is fraudulent, that will probably also have an impact because if these guys are saying that they're not able to, you know, have transfers go through, they'll probably at some point uh, give up on the campaign. So as long as the bank systems are not able to handle threats, they will probably go on. Now, the timing of this is interesting more because, of course, the FSI SAC as well as the FBI issued an alert to almost three weeks ago warning banks about attacks just like this. Sometimes they're launched in conjunction with denial of service attacks. Sometimes they're just launched on their own. But in the end, they all ultimately aim to commit fraud. Do you see institutions having already taken steps maybe to mitigate some of the risks that could be linked to an attack such as this? First of all, man-in-the-middle you know, attack that involves session hijacking. There's an online banking session that's being hijacked by a bot master. This methodology is not new at all. It's actually been out there for maybe the past six years, if not longer. So nothing in the technical methodology here is new. There are products and services worldwide that can protect against this. Unfortunately, American online banking consumers are a bit more vulnerable because there's no wide usage of two-factor authentication meaning that if I want to make an online transfer in the U.S., I don't have to put in a one-time password. I don't have to put in token code usually. So there's a lot of stages of where vendors can act in order to um, mitigate threats. There's blocking. There's shutdown, meaning that even if you are infected, you'll be able to shut down the communication point of the Trojan so that you're putting in your online banking account details, but that information will not be sent to a factory server. And then if we miss that part as well and you're infected, there's still adaptive authentication and then there's the transaction monitoring. So whereas adaptive authentication will look at your device ID and different uh, parameters to see if uh, it's really you logging in, there's also transaction monitoring. So for example, if I'm suddenly wiring money to somebody who I've never wired money to before, that's going to be considered an anomaly and that could potentially be blocked in real time. Banks do have a good chance of being protected to some extent Yeah, I'm glad that you pointed out what some of the solutions are because I did want to ask about that. And I wanted to ask a little bit about the Trojan itself. RSA doesn't really know a great deal about this Trojan, but as you've pointed out before, based on some of the claims made by this group that allegedly developed the Trojan, you have a little background. We do know that it's a derivative of the Gozi Trojan, which is one of the oldest Trojans uh, that have been around. But it seems like the gangs for this campaign will be using variant of the Trojan that is specifically coded to perform man-in-the-middle session hijacking attacks. Just to differentiate, there's fully automated attacks that are called man-in-the-browser, and then there's man-in-the-middle, which means that somebody is manually intervening in the online banking session in real time. What we do know is that it's similar to Gozi. A lot of antivirus vendors have categorized it as Gozi because of its similarities. Another kind of um, interesting characteristic that ties in between Gozi and Primalka is the business model I mentioned. In 2010, we did see this team that has privately developed and operated the Gozi Trojan. 
We've seen it employ a business model where it doesn't give out its Trojan, it doesn't give out the compiler, it only gives the inspection file. And then what happens is it rented out its botnets to different fosters without ever giving the actual Trojan away. There's a lot of similarities that make us think that it's the same gang or a gang that's closely affiliated with the developers of Gozi. Unlike Gozi, Prenumonica um, is deployed differently on the inspection system. It writes different files to the system. Gozi just installs a single file, whereas Prenumonica Malka will first uh, have an infection file installed in the computer, and we'll also make a list of all your system details, including all the software we have installed in the computer, and we'll then send that file to its server. So there are similarities, but nonetheless, we have categorized it as a variant of Gozi and not Gozi itself. And it's something that you raised earlier, and I wanted to come back to that, and that's this whole business model that surrounds this particular attack. What is it that makes this unique? I guess this particular gang is basically just posting on some of the forums that it's trying to recruit others to assist in waging this attack. And as you mentioned earlier, I guess once they get up to having 100 assistants, if you will, then they'll feel that it's time to wage this. Something we've never seen a gang turn to just random members of underground communities and say, you know, come join us in this operation using our own privately developed Trojan. It's very rare for a private gang to involve anyone in its operations. And on the other hand, they are very selective and very careful. They will only take on people that they've interviewed and that they that have prior experience. So that is a very unusual. But we've really never seen um, a gang like this. Uh, this model, there's one more uh, point that should be made, and that's that they're, they're going to be keeping tight control over the children. Uh, nobody's going to be able to recreate it, as I said. They're only going to be giving away inspection files. And once that inspection file is sampled, and blocks and patches are issued for that sample, for that same MD5 signature, they're going to be issuing or giving their bar masters a new infection file. More, how valid do you think these threats being made by this particular group are? I think it is serious because it's not in the middle attacks and it's being performed on a large scale by a group that, you know, maybe may actually know what it's doing. But again, it's really hard to tell how serious this group is because claims are made day in and day out in the underground. Some of them do materialize, some of them don't. It'll be interesting to see if RSA uh, is detecting more of this premium alcohol variant. And um, I think that will be a good um, indication of, you know, whether the, the campaign was launched or not. And do you think that RSA's efforts here to get the word out to the financial industry could in some way curb the attack? Definitely. Um, th- these kinds of things may be, you know, we just may have thwarted a very serious campaign. We may have delayed it. We may have redirected the campaign maybe towards other banks. Maybe now they won't target U.S. banks, but other banks. You know, there's a whole wide range of possibilities of the outcome of our announcements. And more, do you think there's any connection here between the denial of service attacks that we saw targeted at some of the leading U.S. institutions. Do you think there might be some connection between those attacks and this new threat? I'm glad you asked because there's almost certainly no connection whatsoever between the two. Different sources report different motives behind the DDoS attacks that have been online. Most of them seem to be uh, emanating from the Middle East. But this is really something completely different. This is an announcement that was made by Russian-speaking gangs. And really the, the financial incentive here is unequivocal. There's no doubt that this gang is out there to make money. Uh, there's no ideological scheme here. They're looking into targeting American banks. Two-factor authentication, as I mentioned, is not widely deployed in the U.S., so it's very convenient for them. Also, we've seen that the same banks have been targeted by this gang, uh, by the Pneumonco Trojan, 
uh, for the past two years. So they're familiar with these banks. They know how to cash them out, apparently, um, or at least they think they do. And I really think there's absolutely, you know, it, it should be clear here that there's absolutely no connection between the two. Moore, can you tell us at all about the 30 financial institutions that have allegedly been named as targets? All I can say is that they all are high-profile major financial institutions. The reason behind that being that those are banks with a large number of online banking consumers. Once you know how to cash out a certain bank's accounts, you probably go out and try to cash out as many accounts from that same bank. And then more before we close, I wanted just to ask about next steps. I assume at this point, law enforcement agencies, as well as financial services bodies in the U.S., such as the FSISAC, are closely monitoring this as well. How will institutions be kept in the loop going forward? I can't make any promises at the moment, but if RSB does have any kind of concrete updates to make, um, I, I think it's something that we will add to our blog. I do know that we have informed the FBI and the U.S. Secret Service of our findings. That, that is currently what I can tell. Moore, I want to thank you again for your time today. Thank you very much. Again, we've just heard from Moore Ahuvia, Cybercrime Communications Specialist with RSA Fraud Action. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.